Welcome to the Sendcast. My name is Dale Pickles and I'm the host of the Sendcast. We started the podcast a few years ago to help improve knowledge around SEND. It's a lot of stuff to read, but we're all very busy. The phrase, every teacher is a teacher of SEND, is currently an ideal, not a reality. We created the Sendcast to try and help solve the problem, to help make schools more inclusive, and to help teachers be teachers of SEND. The Sendcast is also a great way to get the same information to parents and other people working with young people with SEND. Every week on the Sendcast, we have a different guest that I've invited on to talk about a topic, and my guest this week is Alison Knowles. Alison is an emotional therapist. She supports emotional resilience. And in this episode, we're talking about grief, all the different forms it can take and how it affects us all differently. Before we get started, I want to talk about B-Squared. B-Squared is the company I run. And over the last 25 years, we'd help schools to support students with SCND. Okay, So our assessment content is used in over 10,000 schools around the world with over 1,500 schools using Connecting Steps, our assessment software. Our evidence system ever since helps schools capture and share the achievements their pupils are making. And our online CPD offering, Training for Education, started two years ago with the virtual SEND conference, but now includes a range of training courses as well as our conferences. If you want to find out more about B-Squared and how we can help your school, go to our website, www.bsquared.co.uk. There is lots of information available and you can book an online meeting to find out how we can support you. Or you can drop me an email. My email address is simply dale at bsquared.co.uk. Let's get on with the podcast. In this week's show, we're discussing grief, and grief is more than just losing a loved one. Joining me today is Alison Knowles. Alison is the creator of the Ollie Model, the author of the series of Ollie and his superpower books, trainer of Ollie coaches, and an emotional therapist. Welcome to the show, Alison. Hello, how are you? I'm good. Good, good, good. Um, When we think of grief, we immediately think of that losing someone. But grief does cover a lot more than that. It is something that has been lost that has had an impact on you. It could be losing a loved one, but it could also be losing a job, changing life, losing a favourite piece of jewellery or toy because of what it meant to you. Yeah, you're absolutely right in the definition of grief. And you're absolutely right when most people think about grief, they think you were being quite dismissive if you talk about a piece of jewellery in relation to losing a loved one. So when we say the word grief, we automatically think of we, we've lost a loved one. So is interesting in itself isn't it because it, as you say it's a myriad of other things yes i remember um going back a long time ago to the 90s when i was at secondary school a girl in my class in my year took a day off school because kirk bain killed himself who's kirk bain nirvana mm, i'm an abba girl sorry uh, okay yeah, no, 90s it. grunge group but okay. he killed himself he blew his head off with a shotgun Jesus. and she'd never met him obviously because he's married or whatever but it impacted a lot of people and there was grief. And you've, But they never met him, so they haven't really lost anything. It never really impacted, but to them, that meant something to them and they suffered from grief. Yeah. But we, yeah, we often just think of losing a loved one or a pet. Yeah. But um, as we discussed before we started recording is it could also be that change in your life. Well, anything that we lose that is important to us at an emotional level it will change our life. It will change something about us or our environment. And the moment we change something about us or our environment, 
then we're back to this boundary thing. Something's changed. We don't feel as safe or secure. And that, that's a very unsettling feeling. And then we crave that thing we've lost to make our world right again. Yeah. And I think at the moment, we are saying loved ones, but with COVID, people will have lost loved ones. Yeah. There are children who may have lost a parent or a sibling or a grandparent or something. But not only have they lost them, they've lost them in a strange way. I think that's 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 quite an interesting. Um, a lot of when I'm working with children um, that have lost somebody, and we're t- we're talking about a loved one, a parent, a grandparent, whatever, or sibling, even how we react to that situation is how they will react. So you just utilise the words um, in a strange way, or in a with it being COVID. That's only strange to us because COVID's new. It'll only be strange to a child because we've just said, well, this COVID thing's all new, that's strange. So we've now put that into their heads. And that's a lovely entrance, really, to the work that we do do work with children um, that are grieving, how all our good intentions can make a situation a lot better or a lot worse. What, what I meant by strange is you might have a grandparent you go and see every weekend and you have lunch with your granny every Sunday. And then when they've gone that's a big impact it's immediately taken but with covid you may not have seen them for six months that's what i meant by that strange race you've almost had a disconnect yeah and then they've kind of gone so it's not like an immediate it's kind of it's, it's it can be quite strange that they've gone and and it, it might not hit you till you return to normal and then why aren't we going to granny's on sunday now it's normal again yeah, and yeah, fair, fair comment. But it could also be, you know, grandma's been in hospital for a while because she had cancer or something worse. And So every time you lose someone, it's unique and it's going to affect you in a unique way. And for us, when we, we're asked to help a child that's struggling with it, what we do, first of all, is, is we ask the parent, how have you explained it? Because that gives us a real insight into what the child is actually specifically struggling with the number of times certainly with younger children they're quite black and white and nominal in thought they'll take you verbatim because that's okay you're the grown-up you know they'll just they'll just accept it and they don't have a database of experience to know any different so with younger children it's it's kind of a little bit easier to discuss grief and yes they'll hurt because they've lost something it's not around and I think the biggest issue I see with the smaller kids is they get upset with themselves and parents take it as the fact they're still grieving. But the reason they're upset is because they're not grieving and they think they should because mummy and daddy still are. So does that make them a bad person? I just like my little lad. Mum was like, oh, you know, like it's like eight months on and, you know, he loved his grandma, but he's still in such a bad way with it. He's just upset all the time. And mum presumed it was because he was still missing grandma. So I got chatting with the little fella, and as you know, everything we do with Ollie, we don't talk to the person in front of us, we talk to the part of them that's got the problem. So we pulled out this part, which he didn't call grief, he called it naughty. And I thought, well, that's interesting, wasn't expecting that one. <laughs> no. Nope. What's going on here? But being the perfect therapist, I didn't react. I went, oh, well, that's interesting. I said, so is naughty missing grandma? And he went, no, that's why he's naughty. I said, okay, okay, so what do you mean? And he said, well, naughty's not missing grandma, so that's naughty, isn't it? I said, how do you know it's naughty? He said, because everyone's still missing grandma and naughty's not. Naughty plays football and doesn't think about grandma, so he's naughty. So I'm sad because I'm being naughty. And the parents had completely misread that. 
But he was really upset with himself because he wasn't still grieving. And he thought there was something wrong with him because he wasn't crying every day and missing granddad and that he didn't, or grandma, didn't even think about them when he was playing football. So he had more of an issue with that he wasn't behaving in the way that everybody else was and maybe should be. Yep. So you but, never can tell. It's like everything else we've discussed. We can't put anything in a box. Everybody does everything in their own beautiful, unique way. And we have a tendency of preempting or judging what someone else is thinking or feeling and then giving them advice. That's why we never give advice. And if, if you listen back to what I just said there, I asked him what, how, what, how. I didn't tell him anything. I asked him what he knew and what he understood to be true rather than just dive in with my perception of grief. Because uh, what do I know? <laughs> so when, when, when you're an adult and a loved one dies, you've got a huge bank of memories and sentiment and houses and places and stuff to make you think of that person. And you've got a lot of stuff to go through and process and lots of reminders that will hit you. Yeah, the triggers. first the first anniversary, the first triggers. Christmas. Few, yeah. That child doesn't have all of that. No, they don't. So you might be going, they're such an amazing person. It's such a big impact on me. It's going to have such a big impact on them. It's like, no, because their memories are, they get chocolate and Christmas present and hugs. It's very true. A, a very young child or a child, again, a, a lot of kids with processing issues, their memories aren't that class, you know. You give them a list of stuff, no chance. You'd be lucky if they can remember one thing that you taught them in school yesterday. It's just the way they process in memory retention. So, you know, it's not it's not that they're unemotional and it's not that grandma didn't matter. You're spot on. It's because we then get worried that they're not grieving. No, they are. They have. But they're just not doing it the way we are. Yeah, they've got, they've got a process. Okay, so grandma's not here anymore. What does that mean? My mother-in-law died when my eldest was two years old. And it was like, no idea how to do this. Should she be at the funeral? It's like, yes, because not really going to burst into tears. She's not going to have a huge on the coffin moment because she's two years old. She went really fully. And, and we buried her and, and we sort of said goodbye to her. And my daughter was there. And then five days later, we're going to go see granny. Oh, she's worked this out. Yeah, we, go, we call her Granny in Heaven. So we go see Granny in Heaven. She's like, where's Granny? Well, she's here. But I want to play with her. Well, she's in the ground. Well, let's dig her up. <laughs> and it was just hearing her just not really understand that she's gone. It's, it's a real tough thing with kids, regardless of the situation. But what we try really hard to do and what we help parents to do and teachers and everyone else involved with them is to be really mindful that your natural instinct is to, oh, my God, they're going to think, feel this, 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 this. No, they're not. That's what you do. And what we do every time with a little one is rather than say, well, you know, don't tell me grandma's died. I'll say, oh, well, she's gone to heaven. And straight away, no, I don't know that the little one knows what heaven is or that's the family's chosen religion. So I would never do that in a million years. But I wouldn't go on to tell them what had happened to grandma. I just go, okay, and... How do you feel about that? Oh. And just sit back and listen. A classic way of explaining this was when COVID did hit, as you mentioned COVID, and a mum brought a kid to me and said, that, you know, I, she's just terrified about COVID. She won't go to school. She won't step out of the house. She's about a six, seven-year-old. I said, all oh, right, okay. We had a lot of that, yeah. <laughs> I said, uh, okay, so how have you dealt with this so far? And she said, well, I've sat her down. And I've explained that, you know, children don't really contract COVID and that mummy and daddy are at a good age too where that if they did, it wouldn't be too serious. But yes, we probably need to stay away from nanny and grandma because they're a little bit older and we could make them poorly. She said, I've explained it all to her. I've talked her through it and that the percentages of 
I said, great, okay. And she said, she's just terrified. So I went in and I sat down with the little one. I went, so you don't want to go to school at the moment? She went, no. I went, okay. And you don't want to go out of the house? No, okay. What's making you not want to do that? And she went, COVID. So, oh, okay. And I could have gone, well, you know, you're quite safe. You're quite young. You're not. But I didn't. I went, what is it about COVID that makes you not want to go out? Got to wear a mask. And again, I could have gone, yes, we need to wear a mask because it protects you. I said, okay. And what is it about a mask that's really bothering you right now? I don't want to wear a blue one. I want a pink one. That was it. Mum had had grief from her for two weeks of not leaving the house and preconceived what this was about based on Mum's own interpretation of the situation. <laughs> it was just because she wanted a blimmin' pink mask, not a blue one. Got her a pink one, happy as Larry. Bonkers. What, how? Just ask them what they understand about the situation rather than just diving in. And, and seriously, be so careful. I mean, there's, there's some, you know, if you can ever make grief funny. I don't, but I remember... <laughs> another little lass wouldn't go outside nothing to do with covid and i said why why what and mum said i don't know she just will not go outside when it's raining she won't go out used to not be a problem but even if it looks like it's going to rain she won't go out about eight years old and i i said do you know what this no i have no idea no idea so i sat with the little one and chatting away and i went what is it about the rain and she said oh i can't go out if it's going to rain i went no 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 i get that i said uh, how do you feel you know at the thought of no no I can't go okay what what makes you not want to go out she said my cat died like and you've got to just be so deadpan because you 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 know I'm human I'm thinking your cat right okay let's just go with this I'm curious I went oh I'm I'm really sorry tell me about your cat you know I said "Uh, so what is it about your cat dying that makes you not want to go out the house and she said my cat's gone to heaven. So we talked about heaven and the cat, and she told me all about it. You know, it's obviously somebody, she was happy with this. I said, that's great. Yeah, I like that idea. I don't I don't know if that's true, but I like the idea. It's lovely. I said, but I still don't understand why you can't go out. And she said, because Nanny came round the other day, and she was all wet, and she looked really upset. And when she came in, she said it was raining cats and dogs, and I don't, yeah, bang. Now, yeah, it was funny, and again, I had to keep deadpan, but little ones are literal. They are. So you've got to be so damn careful what you say. But then you can use that on the flip side. I remember we did an assembly, a school assembly, and we weren't talking about grief. We were talking about feelings and that you can pull them out and talk to them. They're just part of you. And I said, you know, if any of you have got anything that's really bothering you, you talk to your lovely teachers, pull the pipe. And we're packing down at the end of the assembly. I'm talking to the head teacher, and this our gorgeous little man came over. He must have only been five, six. He sort of tugged at me trousers. He went, I'm sad. And I thought, I've got a meeting, but you don't do you? I went, all oh, right, mate. I said, what's that? So I went and sat on the bench with him. I went, why are you sad? He said, granddad died. Now, I know we've got to get to a meeting. The head's, I'm not leaving him because he's, you know. I went, oh, mate, you know. So I said, tell me about Grandad, because it was obvious Grandad was a big deal. So he was telling me all about Grandad and all the things they used to do together and they played and they laughed. And that's really important because then what I was doing, memories are an interesting thing. The last picture that you see of something is a picture that is filed closest to the front. So I didn't know how he'd seen Grandad last time. I didn't want to go there because I didn't want to bring that up. So what I did was get him to talk about Grandad and the fun things because that brings that memory to the forefront. 
which is a lovely part of helping with grief. Just bring those things to the forefront. And I said, okay, so I'm really sorry, mate, that he's dead. And he said, no, I'm sad because he said he'd never leave me, and yet he has. I went, oh, mate, I know. And yeah, and, he, and before I could even hang myself on, you know, whatever was going to come out of my mouth next, he said, every night when I'm lying in bed, I talk to him because he said he'd never leave me. And he, he doesn't speak back, and that makes my heart hurt. And oh my, oh my God! Did it? I'm like, don't don't lose it, Ali. <laughs> Therapists are human. So I said, oh mate, that's tell me a bit more about Granddad. He sounds anything. Change the subject, and he was carrying on about him. And it turns out, just a throwaway statement. Granddad was from another country and didn't speak much English, but it was a throwaway statement. Then we went on about football and cooking and stuff, and talk about divine inspiration. I said, I said your Granddad's really clever, isn't he? And he went, yeah, he was. I said, he knew that you didn't always understand what he was saying because he spoke another language, didn't he? And he went, yeah, I didn't speak that language and he didn't speak English. I said, what a clever granddad. And his kid's like, what? I said, well, he knows there's no point talking to you at night because you won't understand what he's saying. So what he's doing, he's making that feeling in your heart that you thought was pain, just a big feeling to let you know he's there and he's beside you. And the kid literally just put his hand on his heart, gave me a huge hug and walked off with the biggest smile on his face. So use what they give you. Don't dive in. For him, that was enough. Yeah. That's what he needed. It needed it, to make sense to him. Because it is that thing of, if you constantly talk about them, they're not really gone. That's the thing, isn't it? Do you know, there's no right or wrong way of dealing with grief and everybody does it their own way. There's, there are hundreds of books and yet there isn't a book because you're grieving your own way. I know when my own father died... I took on the role of sorting everything out for my two sisters and doing all that sort of stuff. And that got me through until about six months after. And I just completely lost it. And I thought, I've not grieved for dad. And and I began to really worry about myself. I hadn't grieved. I just wasn't ready to. Everything in its right time and place. So there's no rules. And take all the time you need and just allow it to come and let it come and it will come like waves. But I think the only sensible thing I ever heard was every wave that you ride, you don't ride again. There might be another one that's bigger, but you've, you're you not going to ride it again. Okay, that's nice And it's, it's just a lovely way of getting through it. But as I said, with kids, don't dive in and tell them. You know, and I know if you're very religious, then you, you know, not going to even go there on that one. But keep it age appropriate and don't tell them, ask them. Because they might not be worrying about what you think they're worrying about. And then you're going to give them all this more new information to be worried about that, that wasn't even in their heads before. So keep it simple, keep it clean. So yeah, I suppose it is finding out from them how much are they missing that person? Finding out what, because that's the thing is you said, listen to them rather than saying, oh, you're going to be really being missing because we used to see them so much is yes. actually what is it they're thinking about? How much they really miss them and finding and, that out. And, and again, yeah, time and place, but, Make sure that any interactions you have around this subject with a child is based on their need, not yours. Yeah. Because if you're concerned they're not grieving, I need to know if they're missing them, I need to make sure. Don't don't put it in their heads. But give them that safe place where you can go, you right? How are you doing today? Not how are you doing, are you missing grandma? How are you doing today? And they will tell you, Mama, I'm missing grandma, a bit sad. Well, what's making you a bit sad today? Should we pull sad out because we work on the part... He's missing grandma today. Yeah, I'm missing grandma today. 
Do you remember when grandma, and, and just pattern interrupt, we call it in therapy pattern interrupt, and, and what you do is you bring back lovely memories and you chat about those lovely memories. And, and with a child, it will allow the pattern interrupt, it will fill them up with all the positive chemicals of love and endorphins again and happiness, and you can't feel that and sadness. So a pattern interrupt is really, really, really good. And then let it go until the next wave and then do it again. But don't, you know, don't dismiss it. Don't sit down and go, oh, yeah, you know, this is going to take forever. You know, I'll take about. Don't do that. Just go with what they give you. And if they don't give you, then just accept that, okay, this isn't such a big deal right now. Or they're just not ready for it to be a big deal. So it's, again, who's the expert on your child? You are. You know what you're doing. Yeah. But you still have to listen to them as well. You do have to listen. Yeah. Yeah. And yes, we talked about sorry, is losing someone through a death. Um, but there's also, I think, over COVID and generally, there's also lots of changes of family situation, mm-hmm. which will also lead to grief. Absolutely. Um, so um, things like divorces, um, anything like that, is going to lead to grief. And again, you can't decide how that child's going to feel. It's you kind of got to watch and learn you and know, listen. If we're, if we're getting into parents splitting up, that's a whole podcast on its own <laughs> because I get to pick up the broken child that's caught between the rock and the hard place by two adults that in the heat of emotion forget to be adults. And the children often don't feel they can talk because they're going to offend one or the other and which one do they feel safe with? And if they offend one, does that mean they lose the other? I mean, nobody wants to be in that position, let alone a child. In therapy, we have this thing that I drill into my coaches called don't get lost in the story. It doesn't mean dismiss or dishonour what someone's telling you. So, you know, me and my husband have just split up and, or grandma's just died. And whatever it is, that story is important. Honour it. Listen, because sometimes people just need to get it out. Yeah. I can't change that. And as a therapist, my approach is I cannot change anything you've just told me because I don't have a time machine. And, you know, should I even change it? Because I kind of think, Everything happens for a reason if it takes some understanding sometimes. But the thing that we do is we focus on not what's happened, I can't change it, but how it is making you feel now because the emotion that you've attached to that event is the thing that's now shaping, colouring your world. And if that's shaped or coloured it in a positive way, way I'm divorcing my husband, I'm really happy, I'm free, great. Don't well, they wouldn't come and see me anyway. People don't come and see me because they're in a good place. But you know, if we're talking about kids, it's about you know, okay. So, how are you feeling about that? Scared, sad, whatever. And again, we just deal with that part, we pull that part out and talk to it and ask the child to ask it questions and come up with solutions. It's about recognizing the emotion that you've attached to the situation because you can't change the situation. And if you don't do that, then you stay stuck in your story. I've lost my husband, my world's over, whatever. You stay lost in the story. But if you can identify the emotion that's keeping you trapped or creating the behaviors at the moment, you can do something with that. You can deal with the here and now and the emotion, but not, not the event. I suppose with when, when, when the situation, like a family um, divorce or anything like that happens, there's what the child perceived they might feel it's their fault and all those different things you hear. But there's also how the parents treat each other through that process, but also after. So sometimes somebody might almost like wipe their ex out of their life. 
Mm-hmm. The problem is that ex is still your child's parent. So that's what we were talking about in the, you know, in the foster and adoption one, where you say you never need to go near back to that horrible parent again. Well, it's still that parent. So that, yeah, the worst scenario, and it makes it makes the loss even harder because a child needs to be able to talk to you about it in their own way at their own time. And if they feel they can't because you're continually calling daddy every under the sun and daddy's doing the same to you, the child can never talk to either of you. So, you know, it's really hard. Highly emotion makes us stupid. But we, we do an awful lot of work with kids that are caught in, in that situation. But there's other kinds of grief as well. And if we're talking specifically about SEN, parents grieve because their child won't go on and do the perceived thing which is you know get married have kids get the high-powered job picket fence and all of that stuff because of their diagnosis maybe that's not possibility or they've decided it's not because of what's written on the label with us (laughs) next podcast (laughs) but but the child does too because depending on you know where they are on the spectrum, if they have awareness, and, and they all do to some level, they'll know they're different. So then they'll be grieving because they'll be grieving the difference so they don't fit in, they don't have a tribe. They'll be grieving that they can't do what some of the other kids are doing, which looks like damn good fun. Dyspraxia, I don't have the balance to do this, that and the other. They'll grieve for that. They'll grieve for things they can't do and things they've lost. Yeah. And... Depending on their emotional intelligence, and, and you know, a lot of people think that a lot of guys on the spectrum don't do emotion. They do. They just don't do it the way we blooming do it. Don't be fooled and don't dismiss them that way. You know, they'll they'll be fully aware that mum's stressed all the time. Is it my fault because I'm different? Certainly, kids that I'm working on the spectrum, teenage kids, it's like mum and dad are stressed, or mum and dad split up, and it's because I'm different. It's because I was born different. It's my fault. And they carry that blame, but they've never had anyone to tell. Who do they tell? Mum or dad? Start another riot. So there's all sorts of grief of not being either what you expected to be or maybe what you wanted to be and the realisation that you can't. That's a huge, huge grief. And that, again, you know, how the hell do you deal with that? I remember when I was at school, a friend of mine, super sportswoman, got up one morning, or rather didn't, something it happened, handicapped, legs didn't work ever again. How do you deal with that? At the time, it was all about behaviours and trying to get her to walk again and all this positive stuff. She was never going to walk again, but we were like, no, you will, you know, we'll stay. If I'd have known then what I know now, I would have been, don't know if you walk again, mate. Can't do anything about that. But what I can do is help you either stay in the state you're in or I can help you move through that, the emotional state. Because the only thing that makes a difference to anything that we're facing is how we deal with it emotionally. And if you can deal with it emotionally, if you can take control of your emotions, you can get through anything. I, I suppose in that sort of loss again, she might have had her future life planned out. She might have been a sports person. She was going to go to the Olympics. Yeah. She was going to walk down the aisle. Yeah. She was going to do all this stuff and then it's gone. Yeah. It's all been taken away from her. And that, I think it's, sometimes it's, that's what grief is. You think what's going to happen and it's taken away. It's not, it's not happened, but in your mind... It kind of already has. You've not watched any of the Harry Potter movies. There's a lovely one. I think it's in the last one with the big fight where Harry kind of dies and he's lying on the train station platform and Dumbledore appears and Harry says, is this real or is it all in my mind? And I think Dumbledore says something like, just because it's in your mind, Harry, doesn't mean it's not real. 
Yeah. And it's true. And it's it's very true. We hopes and dreams. If we lose those, we grieve. Let's talk about job loss. Okay. Your identity, not always, but with a lot of people, is their job, who they are. And it's so important to them on lots of levels. It's how they're perceived by colleagues and peers, by the family, by friends. You know, I've got this really good job with a nice car and a good salary and I've got letters after my name. When you lose that, you get made redundant or you can't work for some reason. That is one hell of a loss because it's a part of who you are or you you have come to the point of believing this is my identity, this is who I am. We were talking about earlier, you know, is someone Ali and gay or gay and Ali or are they Paul and autistic or autistic and Paul? And it's the same with jobs because, you, you know, you meet most people and you never met them before and it's not, hi, how are you? You know, how's your day been? It's been, and what do you do? <laughs> yes, And if you question. haven't got a, a what do you do and it's not impressive, it's kind of, oh, if you've had one, if you've never had one, it's not a problem. You can't grieve for what you haven't had. But I do an awful lot of work in the corporate world, surprisingly, because we're seen as, you know, fun therapists for kids and families. But redundancies at the moment, job losses, unfortunately, we haven't... Long COVID and the sickness side of it is one thing. Long COVID and no jobs is another. A load of companies aren't going to come back. Yep. So we're going to have a load of companies go down. Or a load of companies not need as many people as they did because now they're not in the big offices. So a load of people are going to lose their identity, the security of being able to pay the bills, the independence, pride of being able to support their families. That's a huge identity. And that's a massive thing. And that is real grief as well. Especially if that, is. if that uh, job allowed you to have that BMW and those foreign holidays what and if, that. What and if that job allowed you to get the extra support for your kid with additional needs? So now yeah. you really are a failure, aren't you? Yeah. You can't even take care of your family. And that's what I think. I think there's um, male suicide now, diversion. Well, it's a massive one at the minute. Is well, it always has been. That is the thing, because I can't cope. I'm not supporting my family. I'm a failure. No idea who to talk to, because you're a bloke and you're not allowed to have emotions. Yeah. <laughs> you sit there and you see all these things. You, I can imagine why people feel this way, because they are the breadwinner. They're the champion. They're the supporting. And it's gone. And they, they've got to process it. It's, it's, it's about who they are in the world. We need to belong. We need to fit in. And we need, as we've, we've talked in every podcast, if you really drill down, what does any of us need? Loved, valued, respected, feel safe. And a lot of the things that build up our identity are how other people perceive us as well as how we perceive ourselves. And that, and, and that has a lot to do with who we are in the world and what job we do. And if you lose that, then, well, who am I? What do I do next? So it's, it's not just a case of, oh, I've lost my job, I can get another one. What if you can't for some reason? What if you're too old now? What if, what if? I see it a lot with um, people that are retired. Their whole life, they've had an identity and a role. And with that identity and role, what it's also given them is something outside of the family. So they're not just dad now, they're managing director of this and they go out with the lads and there's this whole community and a whole bigger identity that they're part of and when they retire they lose their job they lose all of that and not only do they lose all of that but all of a sudden they're at home and maybe with a partner that they've been with for 50 years but they actually haven't spent a lot of time together covid i tell you the number of relationships going down the pan at the moment because people aren't haven't been together and the identity was me do this you do that well and we enjoy the benefits. Yeah. 
I don't know what I do anymore or who I am. And if we're talking about young men, and suicide's always been a massive one, it's gone through the bloody roof at the minute. And it's a lot of the stuff that I'm seeing, it's not the only reasons that it's happening. It, it is, it's about identity and it's about I'm expected to be this, achieve this, look like this, do this. Um, and, and you and I are old enough to know that, you know, right, I haven't got a six pack and I'm not, probably not going to get a girlfriend until I'm 25 and I meet some sensible women, not these silly girls that only want a six packs. And, and we know that because we've lived and we're a little bit older. But when you're 16, 17, you don't know that. You can't see that far ahead. And if you haven't got exactly what you need to fit into your tribe right now and you can't see it happening anytime soon because it's physically impossible because of how you look or your mind or anything, then you are never going to fit in and you're never going to have those things. And also you've got and stuff that's when like... depression fits in and bang. Social media is always oh, Jesus, making it worse. Don't. But even back then is when you're in the playground, you'd all be trying to say you were doing better in life than you were. Oh, yeah, I've got a girlfriend. You haven't met her yet, but I've definitely got a girlfriend. Oh, yeah, we did that. We did this. We did that. And you're literally, everyone's bragging. You're literally going, my God, I am so far. You, but then you're not. They're just making it up to make themselves feel better. Yeah. And it's, it's, just, it's very, it is, it's and horrible. The, and the, the thing is, if we're, if we're talking about youngsters, and, and you're absolutely right, blokes aren't allowed to do emotion. What a load of the, the loveliest guys I know are big buggers with tattoos and they ain't afraid to cry. But boys are dragged up. And even now, you think, you know, we're talking about is it ever going to change? You're brought up with boys don't cry. Why not? They're human beings. We're physically different. But everything else is the same. You've got a heart, I've got a heart, we've both got lungs, we've both got emotions. So why not? That's Dickensian. It really you're, is. You're tough. You're supposed to be a provider. You're supposed to look after. Nothing knocks you. Yeah, but what if it does? Then you failed, haven't you? Well, so well, then you're grieving about who you're not that you should be. So that's another form of grief. And that leads to so much suicide. And then if we're talking specifically about teenagers, and I'm... I'm I've got loads in my therapy room at the moment with special educational needs. Park the damn label. They're also teenagers, which means that they've got two brain battles going on, their emotional brain and their I'm going to break out of here and break every rule and find myself brain. I need to find my tribe. And that's in constant conflict. They need to belong. They need to work out who they are. They need to bust out of mum and dad's reality of how life works and, and all these chemicals and hormones and so much change, it's a horrible time. All of us, all of us remember about teenage years. And, oh, I've got my first boyfriend and girlfriend. You forget the pain. And it yeah. was damn painful. And they're going through all of this. And then, oh, shit, I think I'm gay. Or binary. Or I've just had my diagnosis. I'm autistic. I'm never going to be like everyone else. I'm never going to be able to get a job. I'm never, she's never going to go out with me. Or what's the point? And who can you tell? Mum? Don't tell mum because mum's breaking her heart already. She's just got the diagnosis. You can't pile this shit on her. So who do you tell? Your mates? No, they're too busy out with their girlfriends. So then you become very lonely. And you're even less part of a tribe. And then the depression sits in because you're stuck in the story of no way out because all you can see is the things that you should do according to I don't know who, but we all have it, don't we? Yeah. I mean, I know, I, I've told you I'm a gay woman. I remember when I was growing up, the expectation was by the time I'm 21, I've got two kids and I'm married. That was it. 
And I knew I was never going to fulfil that. So I was already getting ready to grieve at the loss of my parents when I was about 10 or 11 because I realised it was coming. Wow. It's, it's huge. Not fitting in, not belonging, being different, which is why I know we need to highlight the special educational needs of our kids, right? We need to highlight autism awareness and all. We do, right? Because only then will the support be there without parents having to fight to their death to get it for their kids. But what we need to do is go, oh, so you're autistic. Okay. What do you want for dinner? That's what we need to do. Yeah. Because otherwise we're just giving them another label and identity that is banging home they are not going to be like everybody else. They probably can't do what everybody else does and they'll never be as good as anybody else. And even the smart ones that are going, well, I've got all this help and support, so I'm doing stuff I didn't think I could do, but I'm only getting it because I'm different, aren't I? That was still here. Yeah. But that's nothing. That's something that certainly the teenagers, who the hell did they discuss that with? I'm so proud they discuss it with us. And they feel that they can safely say, I'm never going to be able to do this shit. I don't see the point. All of our coaches have suicide training and suicide prevent training. Wow. Because we get so much of this because the way that we work and the way that we make it about the part, not the person, allows the person to talk about it more freely and openly. So I'll, I'll sit in a therapy room and I'll have a young kid next to me, 16, 17, and I'll have a chair there opposite me. And we'll take the part out that's hurting and put it in a chair. And me and the kid will talk to that part. So it's not about them. It gives them the freedom just to say whatever it is that they didn't feel they could tell another living human being. And don't you think it's sad? See, I, I don't I don't ever want there to be therapists, which is why we do a lot of prevention as well as intervention. But the only person in the world that these guys can talk to is a complete stranger that they have to pay to talk to. It's this. I literally, I could just, there's a load of questions I've got in my mind and loads of things I could talk about. And one of the things I think... Every if we start with you know, everything's unpickable and more <laughs> stuff, but it's like going around to that bloke being the rock and not allowed to have emotions <laughs> is and yet why do we love blokes? Because they've got emotions, and yes. they love us and they feel gorgeous and but you kind of bonkers, isn't it? You kind of need to be a rock <laughs> for those around you. No, you don't. No, it's, it's what you feel you need, and some some people but, will need that solid but, person. So, but we're back to. But no, I, I, as you say, I'm a gay woman. It, you know, I don't need a bloke around me, but I need a solid person from time to yes. time because I'm pretty useless. So we all need an individual with different traits to ourselves. That's different. But it's being drummed into us. And even now, we, we were talking earlier about, you know, is it easier now to, to be gay? Is it easier to come out and stuff? And I said, it depends where you come out. And that's the truth. Because there, there's a lot of good going on. So there's, there's a lot of parents that, are, you know, it's okay to cry, son. But, you know, if you're a lad that's been told it's okay to cry, which is beautiful, bring it on. And you go into school and you're a bit upset, so you cry because you can. And the other lads are like, Oof. you're in straight away, aren't you? Yeah. And, and what a damn shame. And blokes don't get to talk. And they're, they're carrying so much weight and pressure. For some reason, it's up to them to sort our worlds out. We, we need well, like, to get... Most women don't want the world sorting out. They just want someone walking beside them and when they cock up occasionally hold them tight. They want people, we need to get rid of those stereotypes. I want my girls to not be at that point and go, oh, no, it's broken. I need to get a man to fix this. I need to not. Oh, no, I'm game with that. If it's dirty, heavy, or needs fixing, 
I get, I become, yeah, help me. No, I'm joking. That's why, because <laughs> that's kind of, that is saying I need rescuing and the bloke is that strong person who needs to rescue them. Where? And we need to get rid of that stereotype. Full circle again, where have we come from? This is learned behaviours. It comes from not, you but don't do this at 18, we, we do this in school. It's, it's again, everything, everything comes, that's why we're so damn busy at the moment. Everything that we could discuss comes down to emotions and fear. The reason that a lot of parents don't actively encourage their children to cry, although I'm really pleased a load of them do, is because of how they would be judged by other parents and they know that their son's going to get a shit hard time if he goes into school and cries in front of the other lads. That's the problem. We can't change the world. What we can do and what we are doing is getting people to accept that what's going on with you right now is not who you are, it's what you're feeling, it's a part of you. And we can help that part to move on because... Okay, no, you know, you've now got a, a label, autism. You might not be able to do this, this and this. I say might not. You don't know, do you? How do you know? What makes you think you can't? Yeah. That's a really good question. I, I've, I've but met, there's other stuff you can do. I've met someone, we do the autism shows each year, yeah. and I've met someone who's in their 40s, 50s, don't know, recently diagnosed with autism. <laughs> She's now That person's now grieving for the life they could have had. An autistic life. Well, no, the, throw me. <laughs> no, because everyone called them this. They were a difficult person to live with. They were just being a horrible person. They were just being that. And they sit there and go, if I'd known, I was, that's the thing, she, she's, they were grieving for something they didn't know they could have had. But those people would have been horrible to her anyway, by the sounds of it. So in her, in her mind, she, her life would have been different if she'd known. That's the whole world I, she I was can, trying to deal with. And I, 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 can, I can sit there and go on. I can relate to that because, as you know, I don't read and write. And and it was drummed into me because I'm quite old. I didn't know about dyslexia and stuff like that, that I was just stupid, thick and lazy. And for many years, that was my limiting belief. And it stopped me doing anything or even trying because I'm stupid, thick and lazy. I'm different. And, yeah, I can sit here now and say if I'd have known it was dyslexia, I could have, I should have, I would have. Would I? Could I? Maybe not back then. And I don't know. And if I had, would I be sat here now? Probably not. It's, it's, an, inter- it's, it's an interesting yeah, thing. Like, we could talk all day about that. But one, yeah, but. she was she was kind of grieving because her life could have been different because her relationships, she would have gone into a bit, but actually might have got into that relationship because you would have known and you would have done that. And you Would you? Oh, hang on. That, that That's quite an interesting one, isn't it? So <laughs> would you, if you'd have known, would you have not followed your heart and gone out with a guy that you didn't really, really, really love because he's more likely to do with your autism. God, I hope not. No, I think it's more like they would have maybe been different and let me let it... It's just a whole thing. It was just... It was an interesting thing. Yeah, no, I mean... But it's people... You know, I, it, I meet adults that's going... That's how she feels. That's how she feels and that's allowed and she'd be honoured and respected. She's yeah. trying, they're trying to work out what have I missed out on? And the answer is, well, it's like saying to a short person, if I was a foot taller... Yeah. What would you have? What have I missed? It's, it's, but, but you'll never know. That. We all do that, don't we? It's f- for me. It's about people understanding whether we're talking about grief. It's about completely honouring how an individual does whatever's going on in their world, and they're not going to do it the way I do it or you do it. So I can't give advice, and there's no point in me going in and saying, "Well, you know, your cat's in heaven and it's fine," or "What you need to do, mate, right? That's pointless." What we need to do is just go, okay, okay, no, I can see that's large. But you need to know that 
that's a part of you, right? Whatever you're feeling right now, that is a part of you. It's not who you are, okay? It doesn't define you. It's where you're at right now. So if there was anything we could do or say to help that part move on through this, because we can't change what's happening. No. We can change how you feel about it. If you think about it, if we took emotion out of everything, God would be boring. But there'd be no hate, no no nothing, because we don't feel, so we wouldn't hate, but we also wouldn't love. It's the emotion that defines how the situation is for you. So it's the emotion that we need to work with. Because if it wasn't emotion, you wouldn't, you wouldn't be trying to impress people. Well, you wouldn't. And we wouldn't get very far in life if we weren't trying to impress people. Wouldn't we? We wouldn't judge. It'd be quite a bland, boring it would, world, it I reckon. Be, it would be horrible. Emotions... Emotions are the, the sort of the paint palette for all of us, but they are also the thing that define us so beautifully, uniquely. It's not our labels, it's our emotional response to things. And if you want to help someone through something, don't bugger about with labels and advice. Deal with the emotional response, honour, respect it, and help that part to find a way to move forward. It's not about telling them how it should be. God, what- no. No, he's not, not even saying, when, I, when this happened to me... No, if, honestly, if any of my therapists did that, they would not be a therapist. We drill it into them, we do not give advice. No, you've got to be there to listen and find out. And really powerful questions, mums, dads, teachers. If you can see a little one struggling with something, don't dive in. To these words, right, what and how, are so, so powerful. If I said, how are you feeling, you can say, good, bad. If I said, are you feeling okay, you will say yes or no, yeah? If I said, how are you feeling, you're more likely to give me more of a response. If I said, do you know what you're feeling right now? What and how are brilliant ways to get someone to go back inside themselves and start questioning the story they're telling themselves that's keeping them stuck. And the moment you start questioning something, you start breaking the cement around the bricks that are keeping that in place and keeping you stuck. And that's when you start to get more choices and the moment you've got more choices you change the whole damn horizon what how's brilliant and if you've got a little and that's like i don't know don't know don't know we get loads of those i love those watch them just watch what they're doing when they say they don't know a little fellow the other day i said so how how are you feeling he went don't know but as he said it he kept shrugging his shoulders when i was asking him about the specific thing that was a problem i don't know and his shoulders would go up so then i asked him about football because he loves football and his shoulders didn't go up, you don't know, but his shoulders didn't go up. So I thought, whatever you don't know lives in your shoulders. So then I just did this really simple thing where I said, I think the part of you that's not very happy at the moment, and I just pretended to say it, and we just started talking to it, watch them. Another lovely, powerful word for kids, I don't know. I know you don't. I know you don't know yet. But, but if you did know, I wonder what it is you'd know if you did know. What, how, if. It's a really, we call it clean language way of engaging, not with just with kids, with everyone. But you're not projecting your model of the world onto them. You're asking where they're at. So you're not presuming that they're worried about COVID because you'll take it home to grandma. And you're asking the right questions so you can very quickly get to the fact they want a pink mask. And you're not telling them, oh, well, you know, once you die, you can't communicate and that's okay, but I'm sure he's thinking about you. Um, that pain will go away. You know, what was it about granddad? Tell me more. Oh, he didn't speak much English. so, And then use it back. What, how will give you the information you need to communicate at the right level? Definitely. Well, thank you for coming on the show today, Alison. It's not an easy topic, grief, but we've covered a lot, I think. But I think it's one we need to talk about more. 
because you know when when somebody's gone either they they've left us in in any context it's happened but for me as a therapist we could stop an awful lot of grief in our young people if we just take the time to notice where they're at and ask the right questions and give them a safe place to talk um, and also as we discussed it, there is grief for the life that not's going to happen and that sort of grief as well and you know another one i know, i see a lot with um, parents of kids with SEN, you know they before they, their child came along, either fostered, adopted, or, you know, their, their own child, biological child. And maybe mum was the director of some multinational or had some high-powered job. And in order to be at home and take care of a child with additional needs, because she needs to be at home more than she would if her child didn't have additional needs, because nobody else can take care of them the way that she does, and she can't get the support and the services, done that, been there, got the T-shirt, then she has to give up that identity. So then she's just mum. And at some point, that child will see the photos around the house for all the good times before they came along. Yeah, but more importantly, what the child will see is mum is just mum. I'm just this machine, this unit that's here to take care of you. And I don't really have any self-worth anymore because I've lost my identity of all I could have been. So she'll be grieving for who she was and how that made her feel and what it gave her, friends, the guys in the office, all of that. But the child will also be very, very aware that this is something else they're potentially taken away from mum. Yeah. You never know what they're thinking. No. Ask. Yeah. So thank you. Thank you for coming on the show. And for those listening, thanks for listening to the show. If you haven't subscribed already, please subscribe. You'll be able to find links to all the different podcast platforms on our website, www.thesendcast.com. If you listen to us through iTunes or Apple Podcasts, please leave us a review and let others know what you think. Before we go, I'd just like to remind you to check out what we do here at B-Squared. As well as this podcast, we have our online CPD platform, Training for Education. You will find a number of our guests, our speakers at one of our virtual send conferences, or they have recorded their own training courses, and Alison is somebody who has done that. Training for Education is a great way to get CPD for all staff around SEND that is effective and affordable. Visit www.trainingforeducation.com and that is an F-O-R in the middle for more information. And lastly, don't forget our assessment products. It's what B-Squared are famous for, helping schools show the small sets of progress for pupils with SEND make. It's all about showing those small steps of progress. We cover a huge range from early years all the way up to post-16 and preparing for adulthood. Visit www.bsquared.co.uk for more information. Thank you for listening. We'll be back next week with another episode of the Sendcast. It's goodbye from me. And goodbye from me. Take care, everyone. Bye. Bye.